This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intricasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the current e-cigarette policy debate. With me to discuss the topic is NYU Professor of Social and Behavioral Sciences, David Abrams. Professor Abrams, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Listeners may recall I discussed e-cigarettes with David five years ago or in April 2014 while he was serving as Executive Director of the Schroeder National Institute of Tobacco Research and Policy Studies at the Truth Initiative, formerly the American Legacy Foundation. On background, introduced in 2004, e-cigarettes now are consumed by approximately 11 million Americans. 55% of these 11 million also smoke tobacco cigarettes. Though the sale of e-cigarettes to minors is illegal, a recent survey published in JAMA showed 3.6 million youths reported using e-cigarettes or are vaping. Among high school students, use increased between 11 and 2018 from 1.5 to 20 or nearly 21 percent, and the year-over-year increase between 17 and 18 was 78 percent. Among other health concerns, the nicotine in e-cigarettes can harm developing adolescent brains, and the exhaled aerosol can contain nicotine ultrafine particles, propylene glycol that can over time cause asthma, and cancer-causing chemicals and heavy metals. The JAMA study also concluded e-cigarettes may be associated with initiation up to combustible tobacco cigarette use. In fact, an earlier 17 JAMA meta-analysis showed youth and young adults' use of e-cigarettes had a more than three times the odds of subsequent cigarette initiation, and an 18 National Academy of Sciences study concluded, quote-unquote, there is substantial evidence that e-cigarette use increases risk of ever using combustible tobacco cigarette cigarettes among youth and young adults. The leading brand of e-cigarettes is Juul. Their product contains the same amount of nicotine as a 20-pack of tobacco cigarettes. Beyond concern regarding e-cigarettes as a gateway to combustible cigarettes, this past December, federal policymakers expressed added concern when Altria, the manufacturer of Marlboros, purchased a 35% share in Juul that the Juul CEO explained as it could help create our success switching adult smokers to tobacco or non-combustible cigarettes. The FDA has expressed concern and is, uh, has proposed uh, regulations, which we'll get into, um, so I'll not read that here. So with me again to discuss e-cigarettes is NYU's uh, David Abrams. So I, I abbreviated um, uh, the background statement. It is, again, quite lengthy, so I'll just note what the FDA is proposing as we get into this. But let me just begin with sort of the, um, the largest question here, and that's the gateway question and the evidence for such. You're very familiar with the research. Uh, David, what's your reader interpretation of the research to date relative to the JAMA study, they did note several limitations um, in it or cautions relative to the findings in interpreting the survey data. And I'll just note one, including 
They're noting there are a few studies that have simultaneously assessed the association of both e-cigarettes and other non-cigarette tobacco products with future smoking. So there could be a, a confounding factor or variable here involved. But again, what's your what's your reader interpretation of the research? Sure. So I think the strongest research that we know of does show, as expected, that teens who might try an e-cigarette may also subsequently try a cigarette. And that's expected because, you know, risk-taking behavior travels together and teens will be teens and those that are experimenting will experiment with many products. Um, So to me, that's not proof of a gateway. Um, And in fact, there's a lot of very strong research that teens who try things try things and about 20 to 30 and up to 40 percent of teens do experiment with various substances including marijuana, alcohol, uh, vaping and smoking. So while it's of great concern and there are novel products, I don't think the evidence is very strong that there's a gateway in and Most of the studies say that they cannot prove causality, which is that as a direct result of trying or experimenting with vape, there's a guarantee that most teens will progress to regular daily cigarette smoking. And none of the strongest studies, nor the National Academy of Science, Engineering and Medicine summary that you mentioned, Um, say that there's any strong evidence for regular daily smoking, which is the strongest indicator of a possible lifetime of smoking, which we know kills half the users. So I think the evidence is not very strong of a gateway in. And what's equally interesting is that in the last five years, the rate of stopping smoking or not starting the prevalence of smoking among teens has dropped three or four times faster than in the last 45 years. And that's when e-cigarettes came on the market. And in fact, in 2013 to 2015, there was a 300% increase in vaping. And That then dropped a little bit in 2016 and 2017 and then went up again 78%, as you said, in 2018. But that's any past 30-day use. And what's interesting, again, is to put this in perspective, um, in those very years, the Monitoring the Future, which is one of the big studies that has been quoted, showed um, in all three of those years when e-cigarettes went up the most, um, 300% from 2013 to 15, and 78% in 2018, we saw some of the largest drops in cigarette smoking prevalence among 12th graders. So there's a little bit of evidence that if you look at the overall population effect, there's either more likely to be an off-ramp or a gateway out among teens who might have smoked anyway or who had a history of smoking and are now vaping instead of smoking, which is a very good thing for public health because 
if someone is not using nicotine at all, obviously that's the ideal. And if you're not using it, you should never start. And also, if you are using, the ideal is to quit completely, whether it's a much less harmful vape or um, a cigarette. It doesn't matter. There's no harm when you don't use anything, and there's some harm if you use anything. But beyond that, it's very clear that there's substantial and very strong scientific evidence that nicotine without smoke is much less harmful, doesn't cause cancer, and is far preferable to anybody who is thinking about smoking and might smoke anyway, or who is already smoking and switching or trying to switch. Thank you, and that's that's basically a reprise of where we left this conversation uh, five years ago, so thank you for that. I do have sort of a, a related or a side question. Uh, considering such widespread use of those uh, under 18, which is the minimum age for purchase, my question is, and my, I'm, I'm curious, what's your view of how how is it that these e-cigarettes, or as the FDA terms them, terms them electronic nicotine delivery systems, ends? How is it that these are purchased, and to the extent, is it is it the result of um, say, marketing practices, inappropriate marketing practices uh, by the manufacturers or much like the purchase, it's the same dynamic as uh, underage adolescents purchasing tobacco cigarettes. Um, I think it's more likely the latter, although in the past, particularly some of the uh, startup uh, vaping companies um, did very much inappropriately marketing did uh, marketing to teens, uh, including packaging that resembled fruit juice boxes or um, snack foods. And um, those, frankly, I think, should have been taken off the market immediately, but it was only in the last two years when we also saw the surge in the new pod systems that um, FDA began to correctly clamp down on inappropriate advertising and marketing to teens. So some of it is marketing, which I think the FDA is now more aggressively dealing with. But a lot of it, if we look at the science, is also the kind of things you'd expect. Um, Social media and teens sharing with other teens, and there's even some evidence that parents who smoke and are switching are also um, able to say to their teens, it's much less harmful, I don't want you to smoke. So possibly um, some parents who are smoking and don't want their teens to smoke and in fact are using um, vape as a way of saving their lives and quitting smoking, maybe also sharing that information with their teens who might already be smoking and now are switching. So there are many, many sources and reasons how teens get their hands on um, vaping products. And, you know, what's really interesting is teens are strictly pro prevented and banned as much as we can from using alcohol until age 21, almost across the whole country. And um, marijuana is still illegal and a felony in almost all the states, although that's changing. And in both cases, the prevalence of 
alcohol use and marijuana use is equal to or higher than the surge in vaping that has been raising concern in 2018. Mm -hmm. Close to 30% of teens say they used alcohol and close to 20% of teens have used marijuana. Around 20% of teens said they have vaped. So again, this is in the realm of teens being teens and even with strong um, age checks and even with restrictions on advertising, um, we still see substances like marijuana being used at roughly the same rate as teens are vaping. Okay, thank you. Let, let's get uh, to the um, FDA and uh, regulations. So uh, their authority comes from the Waxman Bill from 2009, largely. Uh, uh, the commissioner who just stepped down, uh, Scott Gottlieb, uh, uh, began in May of 07, and this was one of the first issues he took up. He has, he's made note publicly as children, he's a cancer survivor. So this was a priority for him. And with the recent data, uh, last fall, uh, there are increasing number of FDA announcements. Um, and I'll just note, and which of you challenged, you have challenged, but the FDA and the Surgeon General, uh, have recently called the rising, uh, rising youth of youth vaping a quote-unquote public health epidemic, but among other actions, the FDA has recently threatened to remove e-cigarettes from the market entirely unless manufacturers show their devices are geared toward adult cigarette smokers trying to quit and not kids. And this was the point you just made relative to specifically marking or targeting kids. Uh, now, again, a former uh, Commissioner Scott uh, Gottlieb uh, stated last uh, November, quote-unquote, we must close the ramp of nicotine addiction for kids, even if it risks narrowing the off-ramp for smoking uh, for adults, close quote. He promised by the summer proposed rule to limit nicotine and tobacco cigarettes and increase enforcement against flavored cigarettes, uh, except mint and menthol, and ban menthol in tobacco cigarettes and raising the minimum age for buying all tobacco products from 18 to 21. Interestingly, the House Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, has just come out in support thereof. And just earlier, uh, or rather a week ago, uh, two, uh, Donna Shalala and Polona on the House, the D's, uh, they proposed such uh, legislation uh, to raise the minimum age uh, to 21 uh, for tobacco products. But that's a general overview of what the FDA uh, is, the direction they're moving. My first question would be relative to, this is the balancing act. Um, again, as, as Scott Gottlieb said, um, he may just take uh, e-cigarettes off the shelf, even though that might have a downside to enable adult smokers uh, to quit combustibles. What's your, what's your overall assessment of that strategy? Well, you know, I think the concerns uh, from parents and legislatures are certainly warranted that we have to keep a very close eye on vaping among teens. 
I have a 14-year-old granddaughter that just started high school and everything I say and think, I keep her in mind as a real person who I don't want to smoke and I would also hope wouldn't use any form of nicotine or experiment with alcohol or marijuana until age 21. So I strongly support restricting use and checking age to be sure that as few teens as possible uh, have an easy way to get their hands on any form of nicotine, alcohol, or marijuana. So I think an age 21 law and enforcement of that law for any and all nicotine products, regardless of whether they're much less harmful vaping products or much more toxic and harmful burning products like flavored little cigars and cigarettes, Mm I think uh, an across-the-board age 21 law, the way we have for alcohol across all states and federally should be strongly supported. And I would support that as a way of discouraging and limiting teens' access. Um, Beyond that, what I worry about is that we have left um, the most lethal and toxic combusted regular tobacco-flavored cigarettes as well as mentholated cigarettes and many varieties of very inexpensive flavored little cigars. You can buy two little cigars or cigarillos for 99 cents in over 300,000 point of sale mom and pop stores and gas stations. And all of those are restricted and we rely on the clerks to do age checks and not sell them to minors. This is the most toxic and lethal and appealing of all the tobacco products. I cannot see any rationale where we take one select product which is dramatically less harmful, i.e. vaping products, and remove them from the market and say we don't trust store hands or those checking to do age checks on those products and leave the most lethal and toxic form of nicotine on the market. So I think um, unless you're willing to remove and ban all cigarettes, menthol and regular, and ban all forms of combustible tobacco, like little cigars and cigarillos in kid-friendly flavors, I don't see how you could um, ban uh, most e-cigarettes and make them less accessible, harder to get, while leaving the most toxic products on the market in every mom and pop store in the country. To me, um, that's having everything upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, you should make the most toxic and harmful products less accessible, more expensive, and less appealing, and encourage anybody who's smoking to switch. Uh, using every kind of incentive we can that's proportionate to the harm of the product. And it's very clear that toxic smoked tobacco is what's killing people, not nicotine. So that might, I was, I was, menthol is an interesting, uh, issue or flavored cigarettes, menthol, particularly because it's, uh, disproportionately, those cigarettes disproportionately consumed by African Americans far and away. Um, so my guess would be that you would favor banning flavored combustible or tobacco cigarettes, obviously including menthol, but possibly not banning uh, menthol-flavored e-cigarettes. Well, I think if you were forcing to make a choice, I would certainly say the harm reduction, which is making 
toxic mentholated cigarettes um, unavailable. And it's not just African Americans. Um, there's actually close to 30% of all smokers smoke mm-hmm. mentholated cigarettes, and especially lower income smokers. So, um, you know, that's about 10 or 12 million people. Um, I think it is worth considering having a restricted set of flavors for much less harmful vaping products to help smokers at any age to switch and encourage them to switch and make it easier for them to switch. But certainly, I would want to focus on the fact that it's a toxic smoked product that kill people and that those should be the first to be restricted in all shapes and and forms that we can from both teens and to encourage adults to switch. So, again, I think we should do policy and regulation that's proportionate to the harm caused by the product class. Um, with toxic products being far and away more harmful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go back to uh, Juul. I mentioned Altria purchased a 35% share. That was $12 billion, uh, an investment. Uh, Juul's stated mission, uh, quote-unquote, is to eliminate uh, combustible cigarettes. And as you noted, uh, um, a billion deaths, This, or it has been noted a billion deaths, I think you've noted a billion deaths this uh, expected this century worldwide. And, of course, then it's the number one, remains the number one cause of preventable deaths in the U.S. It's 14% of the total adult population. The uh, the December agreement between Altria and Juul, I have to say, in D.C., really set policymakers uh, off. Uh, amongst others, uh, senior senator from Illinois, Dick Durbin, had a statement aggressive statement, uh, questioning or challenging uh, this. What's, what's your interpretation? Now, there is some sound business, I guess, reasons you, that have been made for Altria. You know, their, their market share is declining uh, faster than they thought. Um, so innocuously, you could argue this was a pretty straightforward business decision on their part. But what, what's your read into, into this uh, agreement? Well, you know, I think it's too early to say what the outcome is going to be. We certainly in in uh, public health have great concerns about the past history of the tobacco industry. And so I think we have to be very cautious and vigilant in watching how this plays out. However, um, some people have talked about this being a clear move that um, the, that, the, that the cigarette industry knows that the end of smoked tobacco is coming. And if they don't find a way to make money on much less harmful products that don't kill people and are sold to adults of legal age, if they don't do that more carefully, I think they already know that sooner or later they're going to be out of business. So one could argue that um, for smokers and even for teens who will become smokers despite all our best efforts because we can't completely guarantee that no teen will ever try nicotine any more than alcohol or marijuana, um, it's very good news if we can all figure out how to encourage 
strongly the the quick demise of cigarettes, making them more expensive and um, perhaps use this in a jiu-jitsu move to the advantage of harm reduction. Uh, but again, I think the jury's out. We should monitor very closely. And, um, you know, one of the agreements that I think um, is intriguing is that um, Juul will continue to directly market and talk about the fact that they want to eliminate cigarette smoking and use their product as a successful way to get all smokers to switch um, and quit smoking completely, which would dramatically reduce their harm. And um, my understanding is that that was part of the agreement with Altria, that not only would you be able to market to adults as an alternative, a much safer alternative than smoking, but that um, Altria would even agree, for example, to put coupons to use Juul in their Marlboro packs of cigarettes. Yes, that is now, correct. You could yes. argue that that's just a ploy and a marketing strategy, but on the other hand, what if that got a lot more smokers to switch completely to Juul than otherwise would happen? We couldn't um, argue with that, no matter who did it. Um, my focus is on the 38 million smokers, who half of whom will die prematurely if we don't do more than everything that has been done. And one thing that has come along in the last 10 years that is truly a breakthrough is a way of putting cigarettes out of business while allowing alternative smokeless tobacco to be used by those who can't quit or who don't want to quit and want to keep using nicotine as adults. So I think we're in a, a big dilemma here and we have to be very careful to have cool logical heads prevail so that we don't overreact and we don't underreact to the unknowns. And I think there's a great danger that we will lose the harm reduction opportunity if we overreact while still being very vigilant to be sure we're moving in the direction of eliminating smoking and smoked products as quickly as possible and encouraging switching to much less harmful vaping as fast as possible for anybody who's smoking or playing with smoking. You know, I, I will say the rhetoric certainly is, is on the side or at the the end of the uh, the spectrum, the, the side of the spectrum of overreacting. On the good news, I will say I did note a, a New England Journal published study uh, recent that said um, in a head-to-head, -head, uh, those who aren't equipped uh, were more successful vaping than those uh, using nicotine gum or patches. Uh, so there is some good evidence there. On, um, I'd be remiss if I did not ask the other the other issue here, and uh, Scott Gottlieb talked about this, and that is regulating these products uh, such that they're less addictive, which is lowering the nicotine uh, content. It, it seems shocking to me that uh, we've been unsuccessful. Uh, in doing that, what's your sense of why that is? I mean, these are addictive products because of the amount of nicotine contained in them, 
if we if we made these products less addictive, wouldn't that solve most of our problem? Um, that's a very good point, and I think the two pronged approach announced by the FDA. Uh, both through the former Commissioner Gottlieb and the current director, Mitch Zeller, um, about 18 months ago in June of 2017, is right on target. It, it's consistent with what I said. Keep firmly your eye on the prize. It's the smoke that causes the harm, and we, we must make smoked products that have nicotine in them less appealing, less attractive, and more expensive. And one way to do that is to try to remove a lot of the nicotine from the smoked products and allow alternative products that are much less harmful to help um, smokers to switch. Um, that would speed the demise and the obsolescence of the cigarette, which is kills half the people who use them. Mm -hmm. So I think making combusted cigarettes far less um, appealing and far less likely to be addictive is a good idea and consistent with harm reduction. Um, and uh, simultaneously, they also said that, that alternative products for adults who need them or want to use nicotine are now available through the technology. I think the two have to go together. You can't just take away all the nicotine from 38 million smokers overnight or even gradually and not provide viable alternatives for adults. So I think we must not forget that the two-pronged process both includes encouraging alternative use of far less harmful products as well as making the toxic smoked products less addictive, less appealing and less harmful. The two have to go together in order to achieve the balance and save the most lives that we could possibly save as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. the, uh, my, um, you, go go you, ahead, I'm sorry. Men, so you mentioned this uh, very good randomized trial that said that um, vaping products double the quick rate over and above um, FDA-approved nicotine replacement therapy, which, by the way, is also a smokeless nicotine product and is deemed safe for long-term use, especially to prevent smokers from relapsing. So we do have FDA saying nicotine is much, much safer than toxic smoke when it's in a medicine form like gum patch or lozenge. And we also now have the National Academy of Science and Engineering and Medicine that you mentioned before, making one of their strongest scientific statements, which is that the evidence is conclusive. That's the highest level of evidence that vaping products have far less chemicals and at much lower levels than combusted cigarettes. And so we have uh, a big problem here. We have the science being confirmed that they're much less harmful, that more people are trying them to quit smoking than nicotine replacement therapy, which is a good thing. And now we have very strong studies saying that they could double the success in 12 months follow-up, especially of those that vape um, every day 
and find a vaping product, including a flavor. That study included allowing people to choose their product, their nicotine level, and their flavor in the vaping condition. All of that doubled the successful switch rate with 12-month follow-up. And so the science is strong that they're much less harmful and that complete switching is possible. And yet we have uh, a really big public health communication problem, which is the latest survey says that only 2.6% of adults believe that vaping is substantially less harmful than smoking. It's gone in the wrong direction towards belief in more harm since 2013, whereas the science has gone the opposite way, much less harm, much stronger studies, yet the public and others believe that vaping is as harmful or more harmful or they don't know. So the confusion is not helping. It's keeping people smoking and it's keeping people do using instead of complete switching. And that message needs to be corrected if we want to save lives quicker by encouraging switching. Well, I have to say I'm not surprised. Uh, I did know that. I'm not surprised because if you just casually follow the discussion at the federal policy level, uh, you're left with the impressions, clear impression that they're both equally evil. Um, and I think that's un- certainly unfortunate, to say the least. I agree completely. And, you know, the bottom line is, while there is a risk of addiction to nicotine, what would you rather have? Be somewhat addicted to nicotine in a much less harmful form, like a vape or a nicotine replacement therapy, or be addicted to the same nicotine, but be forced to take it in a much more toxic burnt tobacco cigarette or cigarillo or cigar. And so we've got to be really careful while we don't like the idea that nicotine is addictive. And of course, we're worried about teens who never would use it becoming addicted to nicotine. We cannot overreact and thread this needle in a way that ignores the fact that nicotine without smoke is much less harmful, although it could be addictive, and nicotine without smoke could literally get rid of the most toxic, biggest killer we've ever seen in the last hundred years, which is the smoked cigarette that has been mass-produced. So we're on the brink of a revolution, and if we thread this needle incorrectly, we may inadvertently destroy the very product that could get rid of the death and disease from cigarettes while thinking that we're doing the right thing to protect teens and ignoring the differential harm and how we have to thread that needle very carefully. Mm-hmm. Okay, David, thank you. We're at our, we're at our time boundary. So uh, terrific discussion overview of where we are in this subject. Uh, maybe... Uh, We'll see where we are in another five years, uh, and let's just hope we're, we, we have this straightened out uh, sooner than later. Uh, but again, I thank you for your time. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you for allowing me to express my opinions, and I hope smokers will listen and switch completely and save their lives. Thank you again. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, 
please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.